Good morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And then if you would like to join me in standing as we read God's Word together, that would be fantastic. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, which is the same translation will be on the screen, but I'd love it if you could follow along in your Bible that you have in front of you. Psalm 67, and we're going to stand up to read it. For the choir director with stringed instruments, Nain should have got you up here for the bass solo while we're reading this, a psalm, a song. I'm not going to sing it. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Selah. We are going to pause and reflect on that for a moment. Read back over those words that we just read. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is God's word. Why don't you take a seat? I'm really grateful that the Tingles are with us this morning. Matt and Elisa and the kids, thank you so much for... Um, reaching out and saying, hey, we're going to be in the area and we would love to be here. We're, we're glad to see you. Um, certainly on behalf of our entire church, I want to say thank you. And not just for you, but the girls as well. Thank you. Um, because you have spent your life and you are spending your life in such a deliberate way that more people, more people than just already are, that more people might stand before the throne of the Lamb in eternal praise. All right? I actually think it's a really sad reality that there are two key expressions of the church's life or the church's essence that are so often sort of pitted against each other in some way as though they were some type of competing goals that was sort of fighting it out for dominance in the, um, 
the attention of our church efforts. All right, one of those expressions is mission, which we've heard a little of this morning, at least in one very specific location, in one specific city, in one specific part of the world. But one expression of the church's essence and the church's existence is mission. And we might define mission as being the outward disciple-making effort of the local church. That's how I would define it. But the other expression is the church's life of worship. And it's often defined maybe as the church service where Christians gather together to do what we've been doing this morning, where we sing together and we direct our attention and our affections towards God. And so often in our church life, it feels like sometimes those two things are competing goals, mission and worship. Should we be all about mission? Should we be all about worship? But here's the thing. They aren't competing goals at all, right? They're not, or at least they shouldn't be. The whole point of mission, the whole point of missions should be to include more people into the worship and praise of God. Right? He's the God of our salvation, the God is Luke talked about and opened up this morning with, behold, I'm making all things new. The, the former things have passed away, he says, and behold, I'm making all things new. Don't we want more and more people to know that new thing that God is doing? To, to experience what it means to stand before the throne in worship and praise, to see the Lamb for who He truly is. We want more people to enjoy God. The whole point of mission should be to include more people in that worship. But there will never be more people gathered around the throne in worship unless we persistently pursue those who are yet to discover Jesus as their good shepherd. I love how Matt was saying, hey, we went on a mission trip. There were some people who had met Jesus already. There were other people who are yet to meet him. They're on the journey. They're on the way. That'll never happen unless we're persistently inviting, including, reaching out. So in other words, I would say that the goal of missions is worship. And the means of more worship is missions. The, The two of them aren't competing, they're meant to work hand in hand. So I want you to think back on this psalm that we started off by reading... And it's got a couple of times that we're asked to just seal, pause and reflect, pause and consider. I, I think it's amazing that this psalm was meant to be accompanied by a full string orchestra. Whoever wrote it actually takes the time to specify, right? This psalm, when we do it, he says, make sure the full string orchestra is there ready. It's meant to be accompanied with strings. It's a psalm. It's a song. 
All right? This is meant to just... You know what happens when you get excited? I'm not even really um, a super, like... I'm not like Tim, right, who just thinks in music. Um, I don't think of a song for every occasion that I'm in. In fact, I have a daughter, she remains nameless, who lives in Toowoomba, that <laughs> had a playlist of Disney songs for every occasion in life. Like something had happened and she'd say, oh, this would be the perfect song to put on. And it's off some Disney movie or something. Um, I, don't, I don't really think that way, but, but one of the things that does happen to us as we are enraptured with something amazing, the, the, the best of is God, is that songs will bubble to the surface. It's the way that we can express something more than just simple words. And I love the fact that this psalm makes it very clear. Hey, listen, get out the instruments. This is a psalm. This is a song. This is about the great God. I want you to have a look in particular about the outward. This is worship, but this is the outward effect of worship. Worship isn't just about us expressing something or expressing ourselves between me and God. And sometimes we've lived in a world of individualistic worship styles where this is just about you and God and your experience, and that's never the effect of worship. The effect of worship is meant to include other people. Have a look. Verse 2. So that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all peoples. This song is a song of worship accompanied by strings with people singing and they're saying, hey, listen, this is about the nations. This is about your salvation among all nations. This is the worship spreading out. Have a look at verse 3. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. All the people, right? Verse 4, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 7, God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is what worship does. Worship is about including other people in and that other people might know as well, that other people might join the song, that more instruments be included. If there's a point to Psalm 67, it's this. God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Right? God wants to be praised. God wants to be enjoyed. God wants to be feared or revered might be a word that we understand with that. And more than that, that God wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and revered. He wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and revered by more than just a select small group of people. He wants everyone to get in on this. He wants the whole world to get in on this. He wants the end of the nations to be included in this. In other words, God wants global worship. Right? 
Not only does he want it, God deserves global worship. What is worship? Christians talk a lot about worship, I think. It's a pretty popular topic of conversation amongst us who follow Jesus. I've heard conversations like this or phrases like this where it says, I'm going to the worship service. I'm going to the worship service. Or you might bump into someone down the street. Have you ever had that awkward thing? Maybe there's some of you here that I've bumped into. I'm being at church and um, Kath says to me, do you mind stopping in at Woolies on the way home and getting a hot chook for lunch? Sure, no problem. And you're going up the escalator at Marketplace and coming down from the escalator is someone who's normally at church, but they weren't this morning. And they sort of go, oh, hello. (laughs) Have you had that? One of the things, if we just sort of get past the awkwardness of that sometimes, is just sort of go, hey, um, hey, worship. Worship was amazing today. You should come and try it sometime. No, you don't say that. (laughs) But we might might say that to even someone who we know goes to a different church sometime. And you might say, hey, how, how was worship this morning? The worship was amazing. The band was awesome. Or conversely, sometimes we might say, uh, I, I didn't really like the worship today. I didn't really enjoy the worship today. To which, when this was said to him by a disgruntled church goer one Sunday, Charles Spurgeon once replied, well, that's fine, we weren't worshipping you anyway. (laughs) I'm going to try that one out one day. I told that to Kath when I was preparing this message. I said, oh, I found this awesome quote by Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to include it on Sunday. And she was like, I could so see you saying that sometime. I'm not sure if that was a compliment or just a a light rebuke. I'm not sure Look, we, we, in this church, we talk about worship a fair bit. Um, and I would say that we try to emphasise the, the bigness, if I'm going to use it's a made-up word, but uh, the bigness of worship by defining it by what it isn't. So we say, and by that probably mean I say, that worship is isn't just singing. Or, I will say, worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning. And I still believe that that is true, that worship is a lifestyle and that it can't fully be defined by an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. But, but, There is a danger, I think, in defining things by what they aren't. Worship may very well be more than what happens when Christians gather, but let me be very clear, it certainly isn't less than what Christians do when we get together to praise and worship and sing and extol the excellencies of our great God. 
So Psalm 47 verses 1 and 2 says this, Clap your hands, all you people. All right, even you awkward people. Clap your hands. Who cares, right? Just clap. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring. A great king over the entire earth. All right, so what should we do when we come to, do, to meet this great king? The psalmist says, clap, shout, yell, worship. All right, that's what we can do. Psalm 107 verses 1 through 3 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the land, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? If you've been redeemed, then tell people about it. Proclaim it. When we get together, say, look around at each other and just go, isn't this weird? We're redeemed. It's like what Luke was sharing about the communion this morning. What an unusual thing for God to do. What a completely surprising thing that our God should take broken people, redeem them the way that he did through his son, sit them on a pedestal as his trophy cabinet in heaven to grace and say, look at these people and look what I've done. You've been redeemed. So when we get together, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? Isaiah 51 and verse 11 says, And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Yes, worship is a lifestyle. Yes, you can worship when you are standing at the kitchen sink. But worship is never less than what we can do when the redeemed gather together and sing the praises and excellencies of the God that saved them. Quite some time ago, I read a definition of worship that at first I just sort of brushed over without much consideration at all. But recently I returned back to that same book and I was reading it again and it struck me as I read it. And it's a quote by a guy by the name of John Piper and he defines worship like this. And I think I've got a quote on the screen for you. Worship is an inward feeling and outward action that reflects the worth of God. Inward and outward. An inward feeling and an outward action. I want you to think about that for a moment. Worship is an inward feeling, an outward action that reflects the worth of God. Now, I know very well, because I'm included in this group, that there are some of us in this room right now who have grown up, especially when it relates to worship, especially when it relates to how we gather together as a church, we have grown up sceptical of our emotions. I have. Fearful of being swept away by emotionalism. Don't get too emotional when you worship, right? You might get caught up in emotionalism. But here's the thing. 
The awe of God is meant to overwhelm us. Right? It is. It's meant to. I dare you to stand in the face of God and shrug your shoulders and go, it's pretty good. (laughs) You can't. There is no way in the world you'll be able to. I don't care if you're the most reserved person that is in this room. I don't care if you've never raised your hands in worship. Big whoop. I don't mind. I don't mind if you're the person that gets excited just simply by raising your eyebrows. That's the most expression that you get when you get excited. Just like, ooh, all right. All right? Preach it. I, I'm with you. But I tell you what, when you stand before God face to face one day, you will not just simply raise your eyebrows. You will not simply just sort of, wow, that's, that's impressive. You won't. Every time someone comes face to face in the Bible with God, I mean, they, they fall on their face before God. And not in some sort of ecstasy, mostly just in fear. Woe is me. I've seen the Lord. I'm surely going to die. And then time after time, there's a hand that reaches out and touches their shoulder and says, fear not. Right? That's what happened to John when he was writing that revelation. The opening chapters. John turns around, has a vision of Jesus that leaves him absolutely breathtaking. Falls on his face and Jesus says, Do not fear. And the same words that are uttered at the end of that book are uttered at the beginning. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And John, I love you. John, I'm with you. Worship is more than emotion, though. Some of us need a bit of a kick up the pants in our worship and we need to get a bit more into it, expressing the joy of our salvation. But worship is more than emotion. I'm glad John Piper said worship is an inward feeling and didn't just finish the sentence there. Because it's also an outward action. Worship is more than emotion. It also shapes the way I go about doing things, right? My outward actions, not just when we gather, not just when we're expressing something in a song or in worship or in response to something else. This is about a worship that expresses itself right throughout the week. Okay, so while the most recognisable posture of worship in the modern age might be standing with your arms outstretched and hands lifted to heaven, it may just as profoundly be a posture of worship when you're standing at the kitchen sink with your elbows up to suds. You can worship and worship flows out in outward actions as a response or as John Piper says, a reflection of the worth of God. So worship in both emotion and outward action is a reflection of the worth of God. It must start there. 
This is who God is. And this is His worth. And as we reflect that, as we reflect on it, as it reflects from us, it both produces an inward feeling and an outward action. In other words, we could probably rephrase this idea by asking ourselves a question. How can the infinite worth of God be reflected in this particular circumstance, whatever it is that you're facing? How can the infinite worth of God be reflected in this circumstance in both my attitude and my actions? How does the worth of God reflect in my attitude to whatever I'm doing? How does the worth of God reflect in my actions in whatever I'm doing? When you can answer that question, you're worshipping. You're worshipping. Now, I said earlier that there's this competing sense of mission and worship, and I said they, don't, they, they shouldn't compete, that they actually work hand in hand. As we read through that psalm that we started off by, we could see worship was overflowing, right? The band was there, the songs were happening, there was worship happening, and the focus of worship was letting more people know about this. I let the nations be glad. Let's include more. Let all the peoples join here. So let's think for a moment about worship, missions, and Christmas. I was so struck as I reread the opening account of the Gospels a few weeks ago, as we draw ever closer, right, towards that nativity scene, um, I think it's good for us to remind each other of the story that, let's be honest, is at risk of being treated like Christmas decorations. We drag them out of the cupboard, we dust them off for another year, when we're done with them, we put them away. This is a story that's at risk of being treated just like that. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 down to verse 20 in your Bibles. I'd love for you to look it up. I haven't included this one on the screen. Read along or just listen. Don't let this be just a story to dust off this time of the year. Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Saviour was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger. Suddenly... There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven 
and peace on earth to people he favours. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. And Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Right? Did you see it in that passage? Did you see it? The greatest missionary effort ever launched. God leaving the courts of heaven and entering a dark world. Angels being sent on an urgent mission of announcing the Messiah's arrival. What happened? What happened? Right? The eternal worshipping community of heaven spilled over the horizon between an unseen world and this one and mission and worship arrived hand in hand. Did you see it? All right. Jesus is deserving of the worship of the entire world. We just didn't know about it yet. So heaven's worshippers drew near and invited us to see the king. And on seeing, to join their worship. The shepherds left on their quest to go and see Bethlehem and they left kind of with like the, the closing strains of the angelic worship on their ears, didn't they? This multitude of heaven, suddenly, if they were frightened when one angel turned up, one angel turned up, the glory of God shone around us, they were terrified. Suddenly, multitude, a multitude of heaven's angels turn up and they turn up singing. And then it all just goes quiet in an instant. And the shepherds are going, we, we've got to get to Bethlehem. Right? We've got to get to Bethlehem. We've got to go see what they're singing about. Did you notice, though, that they left to the accompaniment of singing and later returned to the field singing themselves? It says they left and they went back and they were praising and glorifying God for everything that they'd seen. Here's the thing, love spills over. It does. It's meant to do that. Love spills over. True worship always leads to mission. And mission always leads back to worship. Here's one more quote to finish on by John Piper. Love is helping people towards the greatest beauty, the highest value, 
the deepest satisfaction, the most lasting joy, the biggest reward, the most wonderful friendship, and the most overwhelming worship. Love is helping people toward God. So as we enter into this final week before we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, as we celebrate with the tingles as they've come back and they're telling us and excitedly reporting about what God is doing in Thailand, we don't, we don't have to pit worship and mission together like some type of today's a worship day and tomorrow's a mission day. It's mission and worship and worship and mission and it's all hand in hand. And it's celebrating with joy what God has done as he reached out to us and allowing our worship to overflow in love towards other people to say, come join us and get to know this great king. What a privilege. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love towards us that it's spilled over into our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get to um, immerse ourselves in the worship of this great King and God. Jesus, we love you. But we want other people to love you as well. We want other people to join their voice with ours in worship. And whether we can clap in time or not, we just want more people clapping and shouting and extolling and celebrating the fact that our God has redeemed us. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen.